Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, Ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my, it's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others, here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I am your host, Patricia Baker. And the gang's all here tonight. Michelle Clare is here, and Patricia Kirkman is here. And, of course, our fabulous guest, Jerry Wills, is here. But I'm so glad you're both here, Michelle and PK. This is great to have us all girls all in one place. So, Michelle, let's start with you. Yeah, what are you up to? I thought you were already on the road, then you let me know that you were not quite there yet. So good to have you with yes. us. Well, so thank when you. I, yeah, so next, next week, next time you won't, you've taken off. Well, gosh. Yeah. Okay. So we will be. I'll be out at the Wild Horse Pass um, working the Helping Parents Heal Conference. So that is really exciting. It's about a thousand people that will be out there. So that'll be wonderful. I'm I'm under the understanding that it's already sold out. So I think oh they have a God. wait list. I know. And then the 28th of August, I will be out in Gold Canyon um, doing readings, and I'm working with a couple of people that do sound and energy healing. So that'll be awesome. And then on the 31st, I'm headed to Salt Lake City for the IANS conference for the international study of near death and it will be amazing so i'm looking forward to that too oh that's wonderful such good work you're doing that's good stuff thank you it's a it's course, my passion <laughs> it is and of course if anybody wants a private reading you can contact michelle claire and schedule that at michelleclaire.net you can also find michelle's email address and website on Supernatural Girls website. So be sure to check for her there as well. So you keep track of her busy schedule. Lord, Lord knows I can't keep track of her schedule, but <laughs> I'm sure other people are much more advanced in that direction than me. And you want to know what Michelle's doing because it's all exciting stuff. So, Miss PK, how oh, are thank you? you? I'm doing a lot better. In fact, I've started seeing, having clients again. Of course, it's all by phone, but I figured that that's the best way to go until I get totally back on my feet and ready to jump off the more. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yay. That is so great. Yay. So if you want a reading, a numerology reading from Patricia Kirkman, then go to her website, patriciakirkman.com. And again, you can also find PK on our website. Email address and website are both posted. So it's a good time of year to do a numerology reading, isn't it, PK? Because are oh, we yeah. rehashing what happened last year? We don't want to repeat it. Well, right? Nobody wants to repeat it. <laughs> last year. Next month we'll rehash this year. In October we get mm. the preview next year. 
So the next three months are going to be very, very interesting for all of us. Some of the things we want to get rid of, it's a good time to double-check it, look at it, and cut it loose and just get rid of it. Don't carry it forward anymore. Well, that sounds Overdue. like a plan. <clears throat> well, uh, I have to tell you. It's my plan because I don't want to redo last year. Or this no, year. no. <laughs> certainly, we all don't. We're done with last year already. We're finished no, that's with for it. sure. Well, I have oh, to tell you guys so that. so good to say goodbye. <laughs> yes. Well, tomorrow my husband is going to meet his brother for the first time ever, ever. Oh, fabulous. And, yes, he found him through 23andMe. And they didn't know about each other until just a couple of years ago. But then COVID hit and the travel restrictions and all that nonsense so they didn't get to meet in person, but they've been in touch all this time. So we were able to figure out the mystery of what happened way back then. So it's it's a very, very exciting, exciting time, and I can't wait for these two to finally meet. But talk about letting go stuff. Of course, I haven't had guests here in years, so I'm cleaning out guest rooms, looking at my pile of junk everywhere that I have a pile of junk. There's and just no knowing that your house. Yeah. There. Oh, there, I believe me, there there has been an accumulation <laughs> since you were last here. Mm-hmm. So I just going on what you're saying, you know, getting rid of the old stuff. So I just started filling mm-hmm. up garbage bags and got rid of them. It felt so good. So it's like mm-hmm. making room for the new well, I get to make room for the new every time my 11-year-old granddaughter walks in the door because it's so oh. Grandma, do you have this? And Grandma, I need the book. And Grandma, I have to have a table for this. And I'm going, holy crap. But it's good yeah. to have oh. out that way. Oh, <laughs> goodness. Well, tonight, as you all know, we are continuing our conversation with Jerry Wills. But before we bring him on, I wanted to mention again that our guest last week who was talking to us about mushrooms and the healing power of mushrooms both for mental health and physical health is continuing his offer to the entire audience and the offer is a darn good one it's buy one get one free of grow your own mushroom kits and extracts so you can go to his website it is fungi ally which is f-u-n-g-i-a-l-l-y.com and the code is heroic dose, heroic dose. And I'm going to put that up on Facebook again. It was there last week. And at that time, our guest, Willie, was thinking he'd only keep it up for a week. But guess what? He loved being on the show so much and all the great response he got from everybody. So this this deal, this was a really great deal, will continue. And his products are top-notch. So I'm going to start growing some mushrooms in the fall when the weather is a little bit cooler and the mushrooms will be a lot happier. And I'm also going to try mm-hmm. some of the extracts. So make sure you go to FungiAlly.com and see what he's got. It's interesting. And if you have any questions, just reach out. He's more than happy to answer all your questions. So we heard part one with Jerry about how he met this Pleiadian. And there's no doubt from what Jerry shared with us before that this was indeed a Pleiadian and that there were more of them here, not just one. So this this whole friendship experience unfolded. So let's get Jerry on the show because we want to hear the rest of the story. 
story. Now, Jerry is a healer, and we all need to make appointments with Jerry because we all need some healing. So, jerrywills.com. Is it jerrywills.com, Jerry? Is that what it is, .com or .net? It's .com. .com. Jerrywills.com. You can schedule your own healing appointment with Jerry. And I'm getting a lot of static from somewhere. I don't know where. Is that you, Jerry? Are you doing that? Um, Could be. Like I say, the air conditioning is close by. Uh, it's making a lot of noise. So can you turn it down a little? All right. Let's see. How's that? That's better. Michelle's the one with the, the really good hearing. Michelle, is that better? <laughs> it sounds better. But I would also okay. like to think of poor Jerry sweating and hot and miserable the whole time. So <laughs> I, I, I so will tell you, do what I you need to do, Jerry. <laughs> but we need to be able to hear you, Jerry. That's the problem. We can't have anything get in the way of what you're going to be telling us either because we've been sitting on the edge of our seat since you last joined us on the show. So let me formally welcome you back to Supernatural Girls, and let's pick up on these uh, these very interesting Pleiadians, how they came to be with you, we now know. But what happened from there? What happened from your Peru meetings? Well, first, does this sound better now? Yes. It does. The world is different. Uh-huh. All right. Thank you. Uh, all right. What was the question? <laughs> What happened? Let's take it. Take us through from the. You, you've already explained how you met this Pleiadian, and you've already explained too how there were more than one, and they wanted to meet your group, but they didn't want your group to know that they were ETs. But you can sit, continued your relationship with this guy for quite some time, so you learned a lot about them. You learned a lot about their technology. So, what can you tell us? Well, you know, the things that I learned about them were more in line with the type of people that they are. I saw a couple bits of their technology, but I really didn't have an opportunity to study it or, you know, dig deeper into what this was that um, that I was seeing because they, they really weren't saying, here, look at this. This is what this does, blah, blah, blah. Instead, you know, it's just casual. Okay, I'll see you later. They touched the thing in his, well, Rich did, touched the thing in his belt, and he just evaporated. Um, But, you know, as that friendship matured over the course of a few years, and this this wasn't every day, first of all. This was, uh, well, at least twice a year when I would be going um, down to Peru with a group, and then I would meet up with Rich, um, and then of course the others that were part of his collective. Um, it got to a point where you know there was a familiarity there, and I'm not sure if I mentioned it before, but there was one night that I had, well, one trip I should say that that I had taken um, several really nice pieces of equipment down to a local band. Uh, The guys were phenomenally talented. 
And I had some good equipment that I didn't need, so I thought I would just share it with them. <clears throat> so got down to Peru and presented it to them. And in return, they asked me if I'd like to sit in for one set, uh, which is about 20 minutes, uh, when they were performing at a place called Ukuku's. Well, Ukuku's bar was on the second floor, and all the buildings in Cusco are pretty old. It had been remodeled and turned into a bit of a nightclub. It was a place that I would characterize just like Cusco. Cusco is really a crossroads of the world, and Cusco's was the bar at the crossroads of the world. A lot of people showed up there. So, as usual, it was packed. Um, I showed up. Uh, I forgot what time it was, but probably around 9 o'clock, and uh, made my way through this crowd. And the band saw me, and they laughed and pointed me out and said, you know, come on, come on up on stage. They were getting ready to start their first set. I'd already practiced with them a few times uh, to be familiar with the music. And... So I make my way through, and I had invited Rich and his companions uh, to be at that sh that show that night. I thought Rich would enjoy it. He's, after all, sociologist, anthropologist, and here's a real sociological, anthropological <laughs> kind of event. <laughs> so uh, he says, yeah, well, we'll try to make it. I said, yeah, tell the others. You know, bring them with you. How so, many others were there, Jerry? Uh, good question. Let me think about that. Um, in total, there were, I think, six people, including Rich. There was a fellow there that looked like uh, looked like the Kung Fu master on Kung Fu, the series. He white hair, pulled back, uh, bushy white eyebrows, had a Fu Manchu, and had the clearest white eyes I've ever seen. And he had this smile, nodding his head, you know, when he stood up to greet me. Uh, there was a gal there. She had um, kind of short brown hair, uh, just a regular build, nothing exceptional as far as the way she was built. Like, you know, I'm, I'm talking about how they have pictures of, of Pleiadians that you see drawings of, and they're big-breasted oh, yeah. and totally muscular, and they look like, you know, goddess ready to, you know. Well, it wasn't like that. It was just this normal gal with brown hair, and um, she had brown eyes, and uh, they were incredibly transparent. Very, All their eyes were very transparent. Uh, her earlobes were also just a little bit longer, not quite like riches, but a little longer. Uh, there's another gal there that had uh, longer hair. She's kind of a sandy blonde. And again, nothing spectacular. She looked like a very smart woman, a bit reserved, and um, shook my hand. The others, you know, I gave a hug to. She shook my hand. Um, and there was Rich. And then there was a guy uh looked like a hiker. I mean, if you'd, if you'd seen him out on the trails, you'd just think he's some guy from Europe that had been hiking. He had uh, kind of pale blue eyes, not quite as blue as Rich's. 
um, messy, curly hair. Looked like he just gotten in off of a, a, a four-day walk through the Andes at his backpack there. And then another fellow that was uh, a little bit older than any of them. And um, he had, you know, nicely combed hair and dressed, you know, like in um, typical traveler clothing. He had a vest and a long sleeve shirt, jeans, um, hiking boots, and uh, nothing really too amazing about the way he looked either. And his so you wouldn't have picked these people out. You wouldn't have picked these people no. out of a crowd and go, oh, they kind of look a little like different. Or they look more like ETs with wide set eyes, etc. I mean, you did mention Rich's eyes were incredibly blue and beautiful in a very different way, but not the rest of them. So, okay, well, that's interesting. So they wanted to blend in, a, apparently. Well, yeah, and they blended in very easily. You know, Rich's yeah. eyes were like blue topaz, for example. This other fellow, I don't really know what their names were, um, his eyes were a little lighter than that, but still uh, kind of a sky blue color. Um, the brown eyes, uh, although from the gal to the man, um, you know, their eyes were kind of, well, they're, they're very clear. I mean, that was one of the one of the things that was astonishing to look in their eyes. Uh, there was something there. Just, you know how you look in someone's eyes, you just get this impression. Um, but they were very, very clear, just like, you know, smoky quartz, for example, something like that. Just wow. very clear. The only guy that really stood out was the Asian Asian fellow. Mm-hmm. I mean, white eyes <laughs> with white hair and a white Blue Manchu. Yeah, you that's know, different. He, he, Oh, my God. He, I mean, you see him, you can't help but just stare at him for a while, just sort of soaking in what you're looking at. And, you know, a serape mm-hmm. and a walking stick. And, you know, just really an amazing, amazing-looking man. But if you'd seen these folks wandering the streets of Cusco or Lima or really any third-world country where there are a lot of travelers... um. You would just go, huh, well, there goes somebody, and just keep on your business. Because most people who are traveling, they're either looking around, soaking in the sights, not really paying that much attention to the people, or they're on their way someplace, and they're not paying attention to anything except the next step, because the streets are uneven, and you can quite easily trip and fall. So, you know, these people blended in remarkably well. And I think mm-hmm. that's what they intended to do. Yeah, sounds like it. They didn't really want so, to be standing out. Yeah. I went up on stage. Um, somewhere I have a recording of this. And I think on the recording I've actually got Rich and the others. Uh, but I don't know. I'd have to go looking through boxes and boxes of tapes. But uh, I I played that set. And at the end of it, I went over and had a juice drink because, of course, they serve alcohol at Cuckoo's, but these folks were all drinking different fruit drinks, and I didn't want to drink anything either. 
And of course, I don't drink. So I was sitting there, and you know, I ordered up an orange juice with mango and got that real quick. And we sat there and talked for a few minutes, not very long. And uh, as soon as the drinks were done, Rich says, well, we need to be leaving. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for inviting us. And I said, I'll walk you out. So we all got up, walked out, went down the stairs, went through the alley, went to the street. The streets, you know, now it was eh, maybe 10 o'clock. There's not much on the streets. And they just took off walking down towards the dark end of the street, which is the part of the street that goes where there's no street lights and it just goes into darkness and out of town a short distance later. And they just walked on down there, not even talking to each other. Um, hmm. And it's the last time I saw those folks. But it was a, a very interesting time, you know, to see these others. Because for me, you know, I've not seen that many different people from other worlds. I had my occasions of contact when I was a kid growing up in Kentucky. And I had basically, I don't know, maybe four people that I saw. Uh, they were all men, and nothing until um, meeting up with Rich and these people, who are not the same people I met up with when I was much younger. And, uh, you know, here's ordinary-looking uh, ladies and men, with the exception of the Asian fellow, and, uh, you know, just nice as can be. You know, I had a nice laugh, you know, when they laughed about something. But that was my first real occasion to have, a, have an interreaction with the different sex, let's say, of mm -hmm. um, extraterrestrial uh, panorama. I've seen other beings. I don't know if they're male or female. I don't even know if male or female exists with these other beings. I don't know much about them. We're talking about the grays and the short, hairy color or covered creatures, um, the hooded creatures. Uh, I, I don't know who these people are, but um, they basically, you know, from all that I experienced over the several years I was in contact with Rich, uh, Pleiadians are rather nice folks. And I, I felt good being around Rich all the time. And I felt very good being around these other people. I kind of wish that I could have just walked off with them and just gone wherever they were going. But I was married to someone else. And uh, she thought this was, well, a bunch of fantasy and not real. Uh, and, and to the point where she didn't really come down to Peru hardly at all after a point. And then I had the responsibility to my passengers who were also there at a cuckoo's. So, you know, I couldn't go with them. I really wanted to, though, because I had a feeling they were going to touch a little thing on their belt and just go poof and be gone. And <laughs> I yeah. no bones about it. Come on, guys. You can't just leave me standing here. <laughs> well, but you haven't had any contact with them at all since then. I mean, because before your contact was telepathic, 
and it connected quite well. But have you tried again to reach out to them? Well, not since um, several years ago. Uh, there came a point where whatever it is they were doing, their study or whatever you might want to call it, it, it must have concluded because Rich thanked me and said that you know they were finished for now and he was going to go back home. Uh, between that occasion when uh, they were there to cuckoos that night um, and the next several years, because there was a total of about five years that I was in touch with Rich, and I think this happened probably year two or year three, uh, there were still several occasions where I had contact with Rich, and it was telepathic, and then it was in person. And, you know, he showed himself to the passengers in person. They didn't know who they were meeting. And then... uh, on a few occasions, I can think of probably five or six occasions. <clears throat> you know, folks, when you're in Peru, you want, because it's famous for UFOs, so you want to go out and look for UFOs. So part of what I thought was big fun is we would get together at midnight, take the bus, we would go to um, uh, a lake called Waipo, which is um, above the Sacred Valley, and it's outside of Cusco. Uh, just nestled away, you know, away from everything. At least it was. I haven't seen it in years. But we would go up there and, and look for UFOs, wait and watch. And so I would tell Rich, here's what we're going to do. It would be really nice if, you know, you could maybe let us see something and he always obliged. Uh, this, this one particular night was so funny. Um, had uh, a fellow from Europe, and oh gosh, there's about 20 people. Another 20 people, about 15, were on this outing. Some of the folks were older, they just, you know, they were tired or they didn't feel well enough to do it. But about 15 people that night. So here we are at this this high Andean um, shore of a of a lake. It's dark, absolutely dark. You can see the sky so perfectly, and you can really see some of the features on the ground because of the starlight, which is an interesting phenomena. So uh, we got out there about midnight, and of course I'm tired. And I'm thinking, ooh, you know, this is cold as can be. It was really cold. Everybody's bundled up. Everybody's shivering, standing around the bus. And I said, you know, we have to move away from the bus. Let's go down here near the lake. Let's just walk. It'll be good for us to get our blood pumping and, you know, get a little bit of exercise. And we'll feel a little bit warmer. So we took off walking. It was about a quarter of a mile to get from the road to the edge of the lake. So we're walking towards it. Now, the fields have been uh, plowed by oxen, by the way, Um, probably a few months before, and it's rained, so the ground is a little uneven. And so we're making our way over there. It's it's dry now, of course. And 
um, we stopped, and it was a terrific view, hemispherical, of the mountains in front of us, which would be past the lake, and you just make a 360-degree sweep. Those mountains uh, go off into the horizon, keep turning a little bit to your left, just, just you know, low, low mountains and way off the distance. And turning more to your left, now you're looking somewhat behind you and back towards the bus. There are really tall mountains that are close by. And these are the mountains mm-hmm. that are right above Sacred Valley. So if anyone's ever been to the Sacred Valley, they know exactly what I'm talking about. You keep turning further left, and there's this big white uh, glacier-covered mountain. I forgot the name of that one. And then past that mountain is Machu Picchu, you know, quite a distance on down that valley. So we're standing there, and I heard Rich in my head. He says, are you ready? (laughs) I lit up a cigarette, and I said, yeah, let's do it. And so he laughs, and silence. So the next thing you know, there's an orange light that appears on the mountains just past the lake. This is not a huge lake, but it's probably two or three acres in size. And there's an orange light that just slowly comes on. And then there's another one that slowly comes on. Then they both go out. And Rich, in my head, says, look behind you. So I told everybody, let's take a look at the mountains behind us, folks. So we turned around, and there up in the sky were these really intense, like xenon bulb bright white beads of light descending out of the sky there was three of them and they went down behind the mountain and then came over the mountain and you could see part of the mountain light up from them and so it just moved farther forward and just parked then they went out And so folks are really excited by this. Then there was a series of orange lights that came on. I think there was uh, three of them in a different place than where these two white lights had been. And Rich then said, look around. So I looked around, and there were several other orange lights. It seemed like there's four or five of them all the way around us in a circle. And I said, okay, that's pretty thrilling. He says, okay, are you ready for the next next thing? I thought, wonder what that is. He must have heard me in my head think that. And he laughed. He says, look towards the lake. They instantly appeared right above the lake. Hmm. Just there for not much more than 15 seconds. Everybody was looking at the lake. And folks saw it, and they were just, they just stopped breathing. I know I did. I was real surprised. Just this this large, luminous, you couldn't make out what the craft looked like, just this large, not incredibly bright either, 
a large luminous thing right over the lake. You could see it reflecting in the water. Well, this one fellow, and the reason I was laughing earlier, this one fellow um, was standing there with his camera, and he's going, oh, my God, you know, he's all excited. And he took off running. And he had this thing in sport mode on his camera, I suppose, because this flash was going off just, you know, boom, 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 boom. The flash was going <laughs> off. And then he fell. Ooh. Oh, and dear. right onto his camera. Oh, no. And so everybody rushes over to help him. I'm standing there just dumbfounded that this was really a thing to see. And uh, me and two other gals, because the others are closer to, to Alfred. I think it was Alfred was his name. Um, so they ran over to help him. It all happened so quickly. And this, this thing over the lake moved upward just a little, and then there was this flash of light that was just like someone... You're in the dark, and someone just puts a flash in your face, and you're blinded mm -hmm. for a second. After that, it was gone. And I didn't know if Alfred had done this. I didn't know if someone else had taken a picture of us. And I was asking folks, who did that? And, no, no, it, oh, it came from over there. It came from that. Well, now it's gone, but it came from that thing. So I asked Rich, what was that all about? And he said, wanted to give you some idea how things can be done. He says, you'll understand later. Okay. I'll take it, you know, at face value. Everybody was thrilled. It's now close to 1 o'clock in the morning. The orange lights have moved around, and they've just gone out. And it's cold. We're tired. We have to be up at 630 so we all head back to the hotel down in the Sacred Valley. From that point forward, the trip was just the trip. Went and saw things, did things, and had a great time. When we got to, um, to Lima, uh, I can't think of the name of the hotel, but I can see right in my mind where it is. I could walk right to it. It's a place we normally, the Hacienda, that's the name of it. <clears throat> um, I was up on the third floor and several of the uh, folks on the trip were the third or second floor and people were going down because you know from there we're going to the airport we're leaving so folks were taking their luggage down and you know I'm usually the last one because I'm making sure everybody else is covered and everything is going smoothly I have a team downstairs managing uh, inventory of passengers and taking care of all the luggage and making sure everything is is taken care of, including all, all hotel bills, everything that needs to be done. So I'm the last one. These other two gals who had been standing with me there at the lake, they were also running a bit tardy, and they showed up as well. The boys, the boys meaning the guys at the hotel that grab your luggage, the boys came, grabbed the luggage, ran down the stairs with it. And me and these other two gals got in the elevator. 
Well, just as we're about to step into the elevator, I mean, the door opens, it dings. And you know how it's morning, and you're thinking about so many things. But stepping into an elevator is nothing. You just jump in and go down. Three floors, it's not that big a deal. So the door opens and dings. And I stand there just dumbfounded, staring at the elevator. I'm not moving. And the other two girls look like they are too. And so it uh, is like just waiting. And they look at me, and I look at them, and I say, I want to take the stairs. They said, yeah, we are too. Which is bizarre. So what, were you getting like a spooky feeling that there's something up? No, just a mindless stare off into the distance kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. It wasn't anything but that. It was just like, you know, you just sort of go megos, like your eyes glaze over and you're staring off into the distance. It was that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And we kind of snapped out of it when I said, I'm going to take the stairs. They snapped out of it. Yeah, we are too. And we went down the stairs. The door closes. On the second floor, as we're going down the stairs, ding, and some Peruvians get into it. The door closes, and then an alarm goes off. Not a real loud alarm, but it's an alarm. We get downstairs. What is going on with this? The cable on the elevator snapped, and they're stuck. Oh, God. No. Nobody was hurt because the elevator was designed. So if something like this happens, it just, the little arms reach out and lock it into place. But it's going to be a few hours before they can get out of it. So I'm just rolling this around in my mind. And the gals are like, well, I'm glad we didn't take the elevator. Yeah, me too. And I said, yeah, I'm glad we walked down. But in the back of my mind, I'm wondering, what what just happened? So nothing was said about it. A few months later, I'm back in Peru. And, of course, meet up with Rich. And he's talking, you know, have a nice flight down, you know, how's everything? And after the niceties, I said, you know, something really weird happened in Lima. We were about to get on the elevator, and for some reason, it's like I just just stared at it mindlessly, and I just couldn't move to get into it. I had to walk downstairs. And he sort of looked at me and smiled with one of these, you know, coy smiles that he would have, and said, it worked. I said, what do you mean? He says, you know, there's a way of transferring knowledge directly into a person's mind. And the way it's done is to just do it in a flash. He says it's it's, um, something that's happened like in your Bible. It's mentioned in uh, somewhere in the Bible that there was a sudden flash and then a person woke up or realized something. He said, this is something that we wanted to show you because we wanted you to know it's possible. We knew that was going to happen with the elevator. I said, how could you know that? 
And he just sort of grinned and looked down. He says, we know a lot of things about what's going to happen. Oh. And we wanted, we wanted to let you know that it's possible to transfer that information in just a flash. It doesn't take a lengthy conversation. It doesn't take a word of warning. All it takes is just a flash to put the information there so that you can get some benefit from it. Well, at that point, there was a bit more of a conversation about how do you know about the future, and he'd already mentioned a few things about this that I had paid a little attention to, but it wasn't um, as overt until that moment. And from that point on, um, I started asking him different questions when I had an opportunity. I felt that if I asked a lot of questions nonstop, it would just be like madness for him, and who knows how much of it I'd retain. And besides, he might get tired of answering questions about such a thing. So yeah, I tried because to be, overall, if I can just stop you for a second, <clears throat> your relationship with him, you didn't pepper him with questions ever which I know I would be tempted to do that because, obviously, he's got a lot of information that he may or may not want to share. <clears throat> but you were very laid back with him, which he apparently appreciated. So I guess good that you did it that way. Yeah, you know, and I didn't feel that I needed to just bombard him with questions. A lot of things I felt that I already knew. You know, from other other incidents where I'd had conversations with people from other worlds, I was deeply interested in his world and, and what he knows. But at the same time, I don't know, maybe I just learned over the years that if you're going to have a conversation and a friendship, there are some things you learn along the way. You don't learn it all at once. Mm-hmm. But with you know, with this particular event, it really had me curious, and so I started asking him questions about things, <clears throat> and he was forthcoming with answers. Either he could or he couldn't tell me, and I said, is it because you're not allowed to or because you don't know? And he says, well... Um, I'm allowed to tell you whatever I want to tell you, but some things I just don't know. Oh, and okay. So an agreement had been struck where, you know, he he felt that there were some things that would be good if I knew them, and I didn't know the right question to even ask. So okay. I, um, you know, just said, well, you know, if there's something you feel is important that I should know, then tell me. I'm interested in learning. <clears throat> so one of the things he told me was that there about things that were going to happen in the future. And these things were near and far. In other words, they're going to happen soon or they're going to happen a while from now. There really wasn't a timeline drawn out it was just, these are things that will happen. So, um, just a thumbnail sketch of some, because some of it was like, you know, just goofy stuff. 
But uh, a thumbnail sketch would be, okay, um, there's going to be an event where a nuclear reactor is going to go into a meltdown situation and it's going to contaminate your oceans. And it's not going to stop, not for thousands of years. Well, where is that going to happen? He says, it's going to be over, you know, in the um, easy, you know, what was it? It was like Japan or something. He named office. He named a name. He didn't name a country, and I didn't recognize the name. But now I do. We have Fukushima. But at the time, it was like, I don't even know what that means. And, of course, that eventually happened. You know, he mentioned uh, earthquakes and volcanoes that would erupt. Of course, they happened just as he said they would. Um, At the time, also, I was thinking, huh, you know, I really like it in Peru. And I'd like to just leave the United States and just live down here because this is a really great place. I mean, I feel so good here. And so um, it was also concurrent with, as it has been in the United States for decades. I mean, you're you're wondering what's going to happen. Is this actually going to be a a safe place to be government-wise and all that? And a lot of people have asked those questions. And so I mentioned to him, I was thinking about living in Peru and what's going to occur that would be the impetus for me to seriously consider this. And he said, well, uh, there's going to be a virus that is going to break out he says, it's man-made. He says, your people made it. And it'll, it'll cover all corners of the earth. It'll go everywhere. And it'll cause a lot of, a lot of death, a lot of problems. He says, you know, that's it's not a good thing, but it's just going to happen. So can't we do anything to stop it? And he said, no, there's anything that can't be done to stop it. Uh, I says, okay, so I need to get out of the U.S., I guess. And he says, well, it's not really going to be a question of going someplace because there's no place that will be safe. I said, well, I'll just go to another country where at least it won't be so restrictive. And he just sort of looked at me and said, no, it's not a question of whether you should go to another country or not or whether you can get out of the United States or not. That's, That's not it. It's whether you will be allowed to come in, because uh-huh. you won't be allowed to come in. And if you go there, you won't be allowed to leave. He says, you're better off mm-hmm. staying where you are. Well, you know, we're talking back in the mid-90s. So that was something in the back of my mind that, um, you know, it was like, well, it hasn't happened yet, it hasn't happened yet, you know, 10 years later, 15 years later. Um, So I just sort of forgot about it. I was doing an interview with Alfred Lamont Weber, I don't know, back early part of 2000s, and I mentioned this during that interview with him, because I realized it's, it's quite easy 
for anyone after the fact to have a conversation saying this kind of thing. I mean, right. you can sound legitimate as anything and still make up a, a big damn story. Right. So in order to give some validation to this, uh, it's on YouTube. I did an interview with Alfred Lamont Weber. I think it's uh, several parts. I think it's in part two or three. That's how I started off. Well, that's how he, when he edited it, it's in one of those edited segments. But that's where I started back, gee whiz, 2003, 2005, something like that. And I said, this is what Rich told me. So it's it's not that I'm saying it now after the fact. I was saying this back, you know, years and years ago. I was I was telling people about it, you know, before the year 2000. Um I but does that mean that they are from that these Pleiadians, rich, etc., from a future time, or that they just have access to a timeline? I think that they travel unrestricted, and now I know more about how they travel. Not because they've told me, but because I've figured it out. Um, <clears throat> having spoken to scientists and and others, they, they, where the way that they travel, the future and the past are not uh, some location along a, a piece of string, let's say metaphorically, where the past is back over here to my left and the future is way somewhere off here to my right, and that string just keeps on going. And if I want to go to the past, I have to go down to that piece of string that represents that moment in time. Instead, this is where it gets a bit fuzzy, but the past and the future are not really locations. They are occurrences. And the way that I've satisfied for myself that they're doing this is an effect that we on this world call quantum tunneling. It, it Right now, it would take a terrific amount of energy to create a quantum tunnel because we don't really know how to do it. We know what it is. A good example of what this uh, represents, folks who are familiar with Star Trek will, will get this quite rapidly. And people who have been abducted and suddenly just aren't there, they'll also get it quite easily. Quantum tunneling is such that, let's say, for example, uh, Patricia, you, uh, and me, and, and others, we wanted to do a live show um, from a point in space where we could look back from the, the view of our ship and see the Milky Way galaxy right there floating in, in front of us. And it's, you know, side to side, it looks like two foot across. So we're a good distance away from the Milky Way galaxy. We want to do that. We'd like to do a live show so that here it is um, Wednesday in the evening and our listeners are tuned in. And we want to send a signal from there back to Earth so that our listeners or viewers, in my case, uh, would have an opportunity to see what we're seeing. And we could 
receive calls from them, and they could hear what we're talking about, and so on and so forth. Quantum tunneling is such that you could communicate at any distance instantaneously, and you could travel to any distance instantaneously. And for those uh, where I was referencing Star Trek, when they beam down to the surface, it's basically quantum tunneling. And the quantum tunnel is established, in this case, on the Enterprise. And the tunnel ends there on the surface of the planet. And in an instant, the energy forms and they're just deposited there on the planet. In an instant. There isn't any time or distance. Um, So how that applies to time travel, you can probably rationalize quite easily that if you're using a quantum tunnel, it exists in a a null part of, of the universe, in space, in the cosmos, or whatever it is, but there is no time or distance there. So where you do, where you end up is totally determined by where you want to end up. So going to a location, for example, where the Earth was 10 years ago, it's still there. You could just quantum tunnel to that point, and you're back in time. Or where the Earth will be in 30 years or 15 or whatever, and you just boom, and you're just right there. Of course, you travel in a ship to do that. And this this method of travel is not restrictive to whatever grand distances we might perceive, nor is it restricted to the the um, the existence of time. We choose when to be wherever we want to be. So it sounds like this and, type of time travel, though, is very is observational. Because as you asked, is there anything we can do to change this? No. And yet this was this horrific event that is still having pretty horrible ramifications amongst people who took the shot, amongst people who didn't take the shot. It's, there's a lot that, that is reverberating with this in a very horrific way. But it's like he was observing it, and he passed that information on to you. How did you feel when he said, no, you can't change it? Nothing you can do. Well, you'd have to know Rich. You see, it would be like talking in some regards to Spock. (laughs) So I said, can I change it? No, I can't because I have no means to change it. I didn't say, can it be changed? I said, can I change it? You know, and when when I ask him more specifically later in our conversations, he said that it's, it's, there are things that have to happen because that's the way they're supposed to happen. You know, because one of the things I was curious about was, for example, you know, I asked him, is Jesus, was that Jesus real? I mean, is that a real story? He says it's one of several. Okay, well, that's interesting. 
And so, of course, the crucifixion and all that stuff, you know, and I just sort of laughed and well, you know, if you went back with, you know, a group of guys and, you know, you had uh, weapons and the ability to push these people back and say, no, you're not going to do that today, not this time. He says, yeah, but think about the changes that are going to occur long term. Should you change it? Do you know why it's happening in the first place? He says, we're not allowed to change things. So Yeah, that's what I it sounds like to me. Exactly that, that they're not allowed to change things, that they're there to observe, period. That's it. That's pretty much what I got, too. You know, his interactions with me must have had some purpose or reason. And I don't know the depth of what that might be. Now I might never know. But it certainly was very revealing during that time, uh, at least to me, because I... I had a chance to look beyond, you know, what the normalcy of my life had become. It was, um, it was, it was quite an event. And I know there are people, because I've had it happen, there are people who go, oh, yeah, great story. Can you prove it? <clears throat> and I just laugh and tell them, I really don't give a damn if you believe it or not. I'm not telling you right. this because... <laughs> I'm hoping you'll believe it or it's going to do okay. something like spectacular to change your life. So I don't care one way or the other. You wanted to know, this is what happened. Take mm-hmm. it or leave it. Yeah, I noticed that on in one of the presentations that you did that are on YouTube about Rich, a lot of people were mad at you because you never got a picture. And they said, look, if you don't have a photo, it didn't happen. And, you know, it just I started laughing. I'm like, you know, that's that's the mindset today. It's like you can talk about this all you want, but where's the photo? You know, where's the video? Mm-hmm. It's just so funny. Yeah, you know, and it never occurred to me that I needed to prove anything because it was a personal experience of mine. And I had no intention, really, of making any waves about it. Um, you know, like I said, a person either believes it or they don't. It's not going to make any difference the other, whether they believe it or not. It's just something that happened to me. And as far as pictures go, I'll tell you, <laughs> there even having a picture doesn't really do you much, um, much good. When Kathy and I went deep, deep into the Andes looking for lost cities, we went up um, <clears throat> about 85 miles up the Tocachi River, uh, north-central Peru, a real dangerous area. But still, we went. And the point of all this is the picture. Well, one of the things that happened is that we we stayed with this mountain family, a man, his wife, and two daughters. And we had a meal well, Kathy had cooey, which is guinea pig. I didn't want guinea pig, so they fixed me a bowl. It's like a stew. Guinea pigs like eating a, a rat, really. I didn't care for it. 
Well, they fixed me. A, they, they fixed me some uh, this stew that had bear meat. Well, the bear meat was like chewing tough bubble gum. You just could yeah. never chew it enough to break it down. It was delicious. <laughs> so I was swallowing chunks whole, basically. The next day, the uh, the man, what was his name? Juliano, I think. Anyway, he brought out this bear skin. That was the bear we had eaten. And it was a bear that had been skinned and talking about the head and everything else. So he put one of these old, really old artifacts that he had found, a really huge matate, uh, on this bear skin. And Kathy was sitting there with it. And I took a picture. Well, the only black bears in Peru are called uh, cuckoos. That's what a cuckoos is all about, that bar. It is the spectacled bear. It has spots around uh, one or both eyes. And they're, they're white. It's a black bear with white rings around the eyes, and that is called in uh, Quechua, the cuckoo. Uh, thus, the name of the bar, cuckoos. It's a sacred bear. Well, this bear did not. It was just a black bear. And Juliano told us uh, when we got there, we couldn't pitch a tent. We had to sleep inside the building with this huge thick door because of the bears. And I said, the cuckoos? He said, no. They're uh, grande, negro, uh, big black bears. They're very dangerous. So this door was like solid wood and at least eight to ten inches thick. It was just gigantic for a door. All the doors to all the uh, entrances were that size. So we got a picture of this because I had never heard of a black bear in the Andes. And it turns out no one else has ever heard of this before either. <clears throat> so I, of course, had the picture. Got back. Spoke to um, um, different people, universities, uh, that are into bears. I forgot what it's called now. And showed them the picture. And the Without exception, no, there are no black bears in the Andes. They don't exist. And I said, but I have a picture. You could have <laughs> taken that picture anywhere. Oh. Said, but I didn't. Yeah. So no one believed me that we had a picture of a bear skin, of a bear I'd eaten part of, and it was not the cuckoo bear. The not only, yeah, that, and that you make a good point with that. Obviously, people can pick a photograph apart or a video, too. But it is a strange. When you started telling this story, I'm like, I never heard of a black bear in Peru. Where in Peru? That's so strange. But yet you had that experience. It was your experience, Kathy's experience also. So it's fascinating. It's fascinating. But what also is intriguing about the story is, these bears sounded pretty aggressive 
to the point where people had to get a huge, thick door to stop them from coming into their homes. I mean, that's even more troubling than are they there or not. It's like, wow. I mean, even here in this country, bears that come into homes, that's unusual. It's its not the norm. But it sounds like in Peru they were scared, which they probably should have been, about these bears coming into their home and, and being aggressive. Yeah, well, they, they were. They were very, um, they're quite aware of them. You see, these folks have cattle and you know here in the states we think of cattle and they go out grazing on a farm or a ranch or fences and so forth there they put a piece punch a hole in the ear and tie a piece of cloth uh, to that hole in the ear and that identifies who the cattle belong to then they turn them loose and they make mm-hmm. their way up the uh, in that particular region of course it would be the Takachi Valley uh, people want to look it up. It's Tokachi, T-O-C-A-C-H-I, Tokachi, Rio Tokachi, specifically. Why can't? Was oh, it an E and not an I? Okay, sorry. C-H-E. Um, anyway, they just turn them loose. And twice a year, they go looking for them, herd them up, sew off some, and then turn them loose again. And um, they're always aware that there are the big black panthers roaming through. Because this is where the Amazon rolls right up onto the eastern slope of the Andes. Okay. Um, it's, it's high elevation. I mean, where we were staying, yeah. we were at about 6,000, 7,000 feet. So and you it just do keeps have, on going. There's a lot of wildlife. Yeah, a lot of wildlife there. That's very... Interesting. Yeah. But let me ask you a question, Jerry, because you were very, very comfortable with these Pleiadians. Can I go back to that with you? Because sure. you had a level of comfort with Rich and his companions. And did you ever consider that you are somehow related to them? Mm, no, not really. I was quite certain where I came from, and it wasn't the Pleiades. You know, but I had a deep respect for them, for where they came from. You know, out there mm-hmm. among the stars, people are people. Sure, you have other races. You know, people are always talking about the greys, uh, those guys. They're not very nice, usually. Then there are the, the tall, bluish-white uh, version of the greys. They're interesting folks. I've met them before. And then you have really uh, a whole range of other beings like you've heard about that that people have seen. I've not seen but a couple different things, so I couldn't really address whether that's that's, you know, real or not real or whatever. You know, I've not seen them, so I really can't say. But um, no, I didn't feel like I I was part of the Pleiadians. I felt that I was part of a greater range of humanity, of people who live among the stars. And the people of this world should feel that way, too. But they've just never been allowed to look beyond their own horizon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So you know where you come from, is what you just said. And it's not the Pleiades. That's right. 
Did you ever come across any mantis? No, I, I never have. The only other thing that was bizarre that I saw were these people that look like lizard people or dinosaur people. It was <laughs> oh, <laughs> they are interesting. not very pleasant at all. Um, but yeah, that's that's the only other thing. I mean, the grays are definitely little short gray guys. They're definitely obnoxious. Um, <laughs> they typical small they, they person. <laughs> Well, uh, I'll tell you, when they appeared in the room, um, we were in um, a little town outside of Phoenix um, called Fountain Hills. We had just gotten back from Peru. We were going back again pretty quick, quick turnaround. We just got a place, uh, like a bed and breakfast sort of thing to stay there. And... uh, a radio host, Kevin Smith, had been accosted by the Greys, and God only knows who else, but they had given him radiation poisoning. Oh. So, on his wrist. Not good. Oh, it, was, it, was, it was pretty awful. They, they warned him over and over not to be talking about the things he was talking about on his show. Mm-hmm. And he continued doing it, so they showed up to give him what for. When they did, then uh, that created a bit of a problem for me. Kevin was my friend. So I went over, and I fixed everything they had done, completely undid it. I mean, it was noticeable within hours. Everything just changed, went back to normal for Kevin. And then I psychically, telepathically, let's say, put out an edict that if you do this again, you're going to be dealing with me instead of him. And I left it at that. And here we are in Fountain Hills. Kathy wakes up. She sees me uh, in in, in the closet, of all things. And what she saw was me looking as if I had short hair from a picture, really, that had been taken several years prior with my face lit up by the uh, flip phone that I was holding. And she thought, what's Jerry doing? And then she just, boom, went right back off to sleep again. And then I woke up. And in front of me um, is Linda Moulton Howell standing there and walking towards me, towards the end of the bed. And then there's uh, Dr. Leo Strange's. Uh, off to the right with a gurney and she's telling me that I need to stop interfering with what they're doing that they're really upset with me and that if I don't stop then Dr. Strange is is going to have to administer and she named off what it was some kind of drug of some sort that kind of screws your mind up and you just that me just intently and nodded and I thought to myself what the hell is going on here I'm asleep in my bed and I'm to this instantly my mind clicked all of that off and there are these little gray guys standing there oh those sneaky bastards 
Yeah, so they were taking on the form of somebody, of people you knew and respected, I would imagine. Linda is like a great researcher. And Leo, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, they are sneaky like that, huh? Big time. So you can imagine, here is a six foot nine guy, naked, long hair, jumping out of bed. <laughs> Between them and the closet, they came in <laughs> and just freaked. There were four of them. One of them poofed away in a little burst of light in the closet. The other one was standing there watching. And I told them, I said, if you ever do this again, because I was pissed off, if you ever do this again, I'm going to grab you by your head or by your neck and pop your fat little head right off of that skinny-ass little neck of yours. And you're not going to like So I'll have you as a coffee on my wall. And I said, do you understand me? And they're just standing there, just making clicky noises. I said, I'll let you go this time. But if you ever do this again, all bets are off. I will hurt you. And I stepped aside. They ran just fast right past me into the closet, poof, 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 little poofs of light, and they were gone. I woke up Kathy, and she goes, what's going on? What happened? And I said, this is going to freak you out. I told her what had happened. We got all, I turned all the lights on everywhere in this, this little uh, thing, we, apartment we were staying in. Because I was kind of freaked out too. Yeah. And so I went out on the balcony to have a cigarette. <laughs> it's very quiet, three o'clock in the morning, and suddenly the power goes off in the entire area. Mm. And there is something oh, going on. You can feel, but you can't see. Mm-hmm. Comes back on, goes right back off again. And finally, he came back on. I shut everything down, went to bed, and finished sleeping for the night. I've not had them show up again since then. Good. But it, um, it, it was quite a bit. But I've, I've met several different races. You know, and... While I don't particularly care for the Greys, um, I think they would make for good conversation if you could actually get them to do more than make little clicking noises. Mm-hmm. But I've had conversations with the others, including the tall uh, blue-white ones. They're they're interesting mm-hmm. folks as well. You know, just, just like the Greys, they don't have any emotions. They're pretty much this or that, black or white. You know, they're a much different breed of being than, um, you know, than people like Rich, but, for example. I mean, they're, they're more but, like humans. Right, right. But with these little guys, why would they care whether people are talking about abductions and UFOs or not? I know men in black are traditionally known for wanting to shut people up. But why did the greys want to shut people up? Do you have any sense of that? No, I really don't, and I've wondered the same thing. Yeah. yeah it's, it's almost like they're working for somebody else, but I've yeah. never really gotten a deeper understanding of what that's all about. You know, I've, I've had yeah, that, the men do things in the past, and um, I can't figure them out either. I don't know if they're from this world or some other world. 
they they certainly don't like being challenged, but then when they're challenged, they tend to uh, become very confused. Yes, they do. So, I've heard mm-hmm. that. Yes. Yeah, you can you can catch them by saying something to them that it's like a non sequitur. Just say something that doesn't make sense, and they don't know how to respond. So I've heard that before well, from a number of people. When I kind of trapped them into a room at a conference where I was giving a lecture, they come up yeah. to warn me not about things. Mm-hmm. And so I had a friend who's a bodybuilder make sure they couldn't get out the back door. They came in to listen. <laughs> <clears throat> After warning me in the hall, there's a pair of them, you know, two of them. And... Uh, so when I got up in front of the audience, there's quite a number of people there, nice room. And I said, well, I was going to talk to you about this stuff, but the men in black, <clears throat> they told me not to. And I'm just wondering what you think about that. Should I talk about and whatever it was, such and such, or choose a different subject? No, no, you talk about it. So, well, then would you turn around and tell those guys who are sitting right back there? <laughs> Those are the, and just to turn it off. Them that um, you know this the, this is going to have to go forward. And people turned around. Some people stood up, and they're just silent. And these two guys are sitting there, and they look, turn and look like in unison at each other, and look forward again and get up, and they make their way to that door. Well, this fellow a friend of mine isn't letting them out. He's like, no, you're not going this way. There's a mountain of a man. And I said, look, if you want to leave, you're going to have to come up here and go walking past me and go out that door because you're not getting out that door. None of these people in here will let you go that direction. You want to warn me not to talk about things? You need to come up here and explain to these people why I shouldn't. Yeah. So they were like bumbling and bumping into each other and finally they they walked up you know the aisle and walked right past me walked over and went out the door didn't even look at anybody and the the (laughs) place was like just silent (laughs) how many people that was you know just uh, something I had set up I didn't but what a thing you know, and of course, the men in black stopped giving me any crap after that. They they had shut down radio stations when I was going to go on. Um, they'd done several things that were just onerous, and I didn't appreciate it much. So when they showed up to tell me not to talk, I figured I'm going to do something about it. Yeah. Good for you. That was a good one. That was really good. Yeah. I don't I don't know. We've we've had so many people on the show talking about them and nobody knows what they are. We have a lot of guesses. We but nobody knows. I mean they say that somebody came who was it? John D'Souza came on and said that they were repurposed human corpses. Now that's disgusting. Oh. Mm. Definitely disgusting. Yeah. But nobody knows for Good sure thing. who they are, who they're taking orders from, why they're doing this. Yeah, it's it's a big mystery. It really is. So I, you know, I don't have a clue, but I, I think we 
we have a choice whether to be intimidated or not. And, you know, after a lot of my experiences through life, it's, I know it's easy to be intimidated. It's easy to get really shaken up. I mean, even if those guys were showing up, after all I've been through, they show up in that room in Fountain Hills. I was pretty shook up by it. I couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. But still, I refuse to be afraid. You know, they take me by yeah. surprise. Have you ever been afraid so, of anything, Jerry? Spiders. When with these people. <laughs> spiders. <laughs> Well, good for you for standing up to them that way. Not in dealing with these people. No, I've not. Thank you. Uh, No, I've not been intimidated really to the point of being like, you know, just shaking or afraid. You know, they have a tendency to be very intimidating, and they they certainly can give you a reason to be afraid. But once you get past that, you know, it's like anything else. If you walk towards it and go, okay, you're going to eat me, what part are you going to eat first? (laughs) Then, you know, instead of running away, now you're coming closer to them. And maybe because of my size, at nearly seven foot tall, you know, they're easy for me to pick up and shake. So I'm I'm not By, really that makes afraid. a big difference. Okay. You know, yeah, I think all of us on this show are about five three or so, you know, so it is a lot different <laughs> being in a smaller body. It's a big difference. For us, with you know, with, we're Please not at the height you are. We'd still be able to do it. <laughs> but you know, it is an advantage that you have, no question. We might well, be able to hide better than you, but. <laughs> Jerry, how, how does your wife react with this? The difference in size, etc. Is she intimidated by them, or knowing that you're there, there's a security in that? I'm sure. Oh, she really was um, never that much approached by the Greys. They really weren't interested in her. They basically put her to sleep. It happened with my ex-wife, too, when uh, they showed up. She she had gotten up and saw something light floating through the house, and she just turned around and walked back and laid back down and fell right to sleep. It's nothing. (laughs) Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Next thing you know, I'm up, and it is something. Yeah. But <clears throat> now, yeah, I think um, you know Kathy is. She w- would not be the first to say this, but I would say it about her is that she is really quite fearless. That's great. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she she met the uh, a different Pleiadian on a different trip down to Peru, shortly after we were married. And this fellow um, was a tall black man, had just the incredible, you know, blue eyes. Um, Anyway, he helped us, uh, helped us as a result of her conversation with him. He showed up in Cusco and asked how things went. 
and Kathy introduced me to him. Of course, I had not met him at that point. I noticed when I looked at him, I knew what I was looking at because of my experiences previous years, you know, with Rich and his companions. And I thanked him for his help. And he said, okay, well, enjoy Cusco. And he turns and walks away. A crowded street. This fellow was probably 6'3", you know, just solidly built. And uh, gets in the middle of the street and just vanishes. Kathy and I watched him as he walked, and he just, poof, was gone. Mm-hmm. And Kathy looked at me and said, oh, my God, did you see that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, what do you think he had mean? one of those special buttons like Rich had? Because it sounds like that that's what that was. Yeah. They just know how to beep in, beep out. Yeah. Yeah, and that I was the technology so. you witnessed because Rich did show you that. He showed you how he oh, yeah, used he, it, but he didn't tell you much else about it. No, he didn't really go into any details. You know, I was totally fascinated. I, I wanted to try it. Yeah, but he wouldn't let you. <laughs> no. I guess he would <laughs> at that point, but he would get it back. Yeah. How many people would love to get their hands on that? It sounds like a very convenient tool to have. Very convenient. Oh, yeah? But, yeah, but such advancement. I mean, it's really interesting that they came here as sociologists wanting to do, you know, this experiment of contact with your group. But I just keep wondering why. I mean, they're so much more advanced than us. Why would they care? Why would they want to reach back in time or in space or whatever it is and meet with... But don't we with, do that, Patricia? What? What do we We're do? always taking a look at the past to go forward in the future. Maybe that's I what they're know. doing. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, I don't think so. I think what they're doing is a lot different. It's just like a formal study sociologically of these people on Earth, but... Like I'm saying, is they're so advanced. They have so much at their fingertips, literally, their technology, their ability to um, to go back home and to their planet and then come back here. I mean, it just seems like why would this be of any interest to them? And I, yeah, I, I take your point, uh, PK, in what you're saying is that we like to study our history and um, mm-hmm. archaeology and things like that, but I don't know. They just seem so much more well, interesting. As a people, it's like, well, why come here? <laughs> Everything seems Are we that interesting? interesting? I don't know. Do. <laughs> Maybe we're interesting yeah. to them. Maybe they're more interesting to them than they are to me. <laughs> uh, you know, I kind of had a conversation along those lines with Rich. Not exactly, but what I remember about it is that um, he was very clear <clears throat> that people like ourselves exist in many places out there in the galaxy, maybe even further out into the universe. Mm-hmm. And we all came from a common point. We didn't just originate as we are now on this world, as they originated as they are now on theirs. Instead, there's a very lengthy history that goes back quite a distance. 
and some planets have rejoined uh, together in in mutual um, communications and sharing of knowledge and ideas and cultures, while others haven't. Some haven't advanced to the point to where they're really able to do that, and others are getting close to where they could. And I think maybe this world is getting close to the point where it could. I don't know that for sure. But Mm -hmm. probably one of the reasons that they would want a cross-section of people from this world would be to understand where people of this world are emotionally, intellectually, philosophically. And that could be... uh, a method that they would use to catalog our our progress where we are now because you know certainly they were talking to the people that I took down to Peru and of course like I yeah. said the people that I they took are. with me they, they didn't know until later after I told them oh you did um, tell them later okay I always wondered about know. that if you told them <laughs> Yeah, whenever if the conversation came up and it was mentioned, then I would say something about it. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but it wasn't just my group that they were talking to. They were talking to quite a few. I mean, Rich yeah. had been up in California, had been a speech, you know, well, watching. I hate to interrupt, talk- but we are, our clock is ticking, and we're running out of time here. Um, well, you know what, Jerry? I think you're a true friend of the universe. And it's always a pleasure to have you here to share your experience with us because there you are very you have very profound experiences. It's so exciting to hear from you all the time. So again, thank you. And of course we're gonna have you back because there's more. We know there's more, right, everybody? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> there's always That's more. For sure. Yes, yeah, so thank you so much. We'll be back next week with another great show, everybody. Till then, see you on the blue highway. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural.